Good morning, all. Are you okay? We are in Philippians this morning. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to uh, go to Philippians 3. For those of you who are maybe new to uh, our church or are visiting, uh, we've been going through the book of Philippians, uh, and the title of this series is um, Joyful Christian Living. What does it mean to live a life uh, in Christ that is joyfully le- lived out in this world? And it's my joy this morning to be able to share from Philippians 3, uh, verses uh, 8 to 9, which uh, just follows on from what Ant was preaching last week. Um, just, to, just as a background, really, as in last week, we were, Ant was sharing uh, and preaching about what it means this Christian life is not one where Christ is just added to. Um, when we come to know Jesus, our lives don't just get an additional thing added to our lives. The new Christian life is a life where our lives are transformed. We are flipped upside down, if that makes sense. We are totally uh, made new in Christ. And Lam was talking last week about how in, when we come and choose Christ, we, there is a loss. There is a sense that things that we once held onto as dear are pushed aside because we have gained something even greater, which is Christ. And as we reflect on that, uh, as, as Paul writes this in the book of Philippians, we're reminded that our salvation, what makes us right with God, is not something that we have done, not something that we do, not something that we are born into, not something that we inherit from our parents or our past. Being in a Christian nation does not make you a Christian. Having Christian parents does not make you a Christian. There are no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. You are either a son or a daughter of God through our relationship through Christ. And Paul, in his message in Philippians, reminds us again and again, and through the whole of the New Testament, that it is not by our works, nothing that we have or done or are that makes us right with God. Paul talks about these things, and Ant covered it last week again, that these things are are called advantages. If anybody was to become a Christian, if anybody had the best start to life in becoming a Christian, it should have been Paul. He was a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. His family, he knew the law. He knew it inside and out. But what Paul discovered uh, was that his advantages in life actually were hindrances for him coming to know who God was. Paul talks about all these advantages, his birth, his education, his heritage, his nationality, all these things that should have been things that brought him closer to God and brought him to a relationship with God were actually hindrances and things that separated him from God. And Paul puts it this way. He says that all these advantages that he had were like rubbish or refuse uh, or exclusives. You know, they, they were literally things that he saw, he once saw them as advantages, but now he sees them as rubbish. And I was trying to think of an illustration of this, and I, unfortunately we threw all, all, our, all our nappies away a long time ago when our children uh, stopped weeing in their pants. But if I was to bring to you... Um, a set of used nappies. Some of you mothers will know about this already. A set of used nappies, and I came to you and offered them to Clive and saying, Clive, here's my offering to you this morning. <laughs> he would be very kind and gracious, but say, no thanks. <laughs> I think, thanks, Ed, but no thanks. And that's what we do when we come with who we think we are and what makes us right before God is our, in our own efforts. We basically go to God, here, God, here is my soiled underwear. That is essentially what Paul recognizes now, that everything that he had and held to dearly as his advantage to know God 
is just like soiled underwear. Or Isaiah says it slightly differently. All our good works are like filthy rags, dirty, filthy, blood-stained excrement. That is what Paul recognizes now as what we bring to God. But what is it now that God says a Christian is? The Christian isn't somebody who lives by a moral code. A Christian is not somebody who outwardly performs the Christian things and the good things that we should do. A true Christian is somebody who worships by the Spirit, glories in Christ, puts no confidence in the flesh. To trust in Christ really is a divine act of grace. It's something that you, if you were starting out again in life, you would not choose Christ. There's something in us that we are born with inherently that we do not desire God. But what we do is by a divine act of grace, by the Spirit, Jesus dying on the cross suddenly becomes something that is not just a factual thing, something that we think is a nice idea or something that happened in the past, an event in history. It becomes the thing that we lay our lives down for. It becomes a thing that we turn our eyes to and glory in. Now, all those songs that we were singing, which Emma and the team so brilliantly led us in this morning, were all about the things that Christ has done for us. He is for us, not against us. He's my righteousness. He's my hope. He's my future. All of these beautiful things that we sing this morning don't come from a place of just something that we know. It's something that we have experienced and something that we worship in. It's something that we revel in, something that has changed us. And it requires us really to be humbled and surrender to what Christ has done for us. I think many of us know uh, what life, if we remember and think back, many of us who are Christians, who call ourselves followers of Christ, can look back in the past and see what our lives once were. Some of us may look back and we might have heard the, the, uh, the story of Christ through Sunday school and through our teenage years, uh, or somebody told us about it, and it just made no sense at all. But at some point in our lives, something happened where Christ unveiled our eyes to see the beauty of the cross, what he had done for us. And suddenly everything changes. Somehow, everything that we once counted as gain, we count as loss. And now, something that was once foolishness, a man dying on a cross for my sins, what's that all about? Suddenly becomes the bedrock on which we build our lives and everything that surrounds it. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians. For the work of the cross was folly for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Um, you know, every Sunday we, uh, we pray for our children, don't we? We pray for our children. They would know something of the power of knowing Jesus. And I was thinking about it this week, that uh, during half term, that they get a lot of information, children, don't they? They get a lot of information. This is how you do your math. This is how you do your sums. This is how you do your English. That's a pronoun. That's a noun. They go through all these things which are knowledge and understanding. But actually, to know Christ is so much more than just facts, figures, history. For them to know Christ, and that's why we pray for them every Sunday, for them to know Christ is for a revelation, something of Jesus, not just to be a guy in a book or a story, but suddenly he becomes for them the savior of the world, the heart's desires, their heart's desires and their longings are satisfied in Christ. So going back to Philippians, let's just uh, take a think about where Paul, is, where Paul is again. He's writing to a church and he's reminding them that to be acceptable to God, you don't have to be somebody. 
You don't have to have done something. You don't have to have met a certain standard to be acceptable by God. And I was reflecting on this this week about what that means. For Paul, it meant that everything that he had was rubbish. Everything that he thought was bringing him close to God was actually rubbish. But I was thinking and flipped it around in my mind a little bit. I thought, actually, the power of the gospel is that nobody, no matter what you have done, no matter what your past is, no matter what your family history is, no matter what your previous situations or the choices that you've made, nothing can keep you from the grace of God. Let's just think about this for a moment. You could have the vilest murderer, um, liar, cheater, and the grace of God can reach into their lives and draw them out and save them like that. Ant shared last week about somebody uh, who he met uh, in Estonia during his, mission, his trip last weekend, the other weekend. And he was an Iranian Muslim, and God saved him in a dream. Think about that. You know, you're in the heart of Iran following the Quran, and God reaches in and transforms your life in a dream. That is the power of the gospel, that nobody, if you feel like you have total disadvantages because becoming a, Christ, a Christian, if nothing in your life adds up, this is the, what the grace of God is, that he can overcome every single disadvantage that you think you have, and he can save you and redeem you. Because the church is not about people who are perfect. The church is not a country club for the perfect. It is a hospital for the sick. And this is what God invites us to remember and to remind ourselves in, that Jesus would put it this way. It is not for the healthy who need a doctor, but for the sick. Jesus has come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. So I hope this is firstly an encouragement for you, just as a way of introduction, that whatever your background is, whatever you may have done or thinks that you disqualifies you from coming to Jesus and being acceptable to him, there is nothing. All there is is one thing, faith in what Jesus has done for you. That is what the whole Christian faith is built upon, Trust in what Jesus has done for you, not what you can do for God. And I pray that will be an encouragement for you. Many of us here, maybe we look at our lives, we look at people at work, we look at our family or friends who do not know Jesus, and we think, how on earth, in their situation, would they ever come to know Christ? I know the students a few weeks ago had their mission week. And for you guys, the encouragement for you is that whatever seeds you've planted, that is what God will use to bring other people to Christ. They may be from different backgrounds. They may be so far from God. They might be, whatever, partying last night till 4 a.m. It's 5 a.m. in the morning. Actually, 5 a.m. is pretty early, but they should have. But, you know, whatever it is, you might think of these guys who you walk around on campus with, and you think, how could they ever know Christ in their situation? But the amazing thing is it doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on you or I. It depends on the grace of God and his mercy reaching into their lives. So I pray that you would continue to pray for your friends, continue to pray for your family, continue to pray for those who are lost because they are not outside the reach of God's grace. Amen? But this week I want to major on, on this side of the passage. Um, Ant talked a lot, lot last week about uh, the loss, what Paul chose to lose in order to gain Christ. But I want to focus on what Christ is gain. That's really the title of my message, Christ is gain. Um, I want to talk about the idea of what, it, what does it actually mean to gain Christ? What is Paul trying to tell us in that simple phrase, to gain Christ? So let's just read Philippians. Philippians 3, uh, verse 8 to 9 says this. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Amen. So the question I want to answer today and help us just to get our heads around is, what does it mean to gain Christ? And there's four simple things I want to bring uh, from, from this passage, from this passage in Philippians. There's four things. What does it mean to gain Christ? And it's, it's these four things. To gain Christ means that you get to know God, firstly. The second thing, to gain Christ means that you can know God's heart, his purpose, and his mission. To gain Christ means that Jesus becomes more precious than life itself. And lastly, to gain Christ means that you are secure in Christ forever. And I just want to briefly go through those things this morning and help us just to see Christ in, in hopefully a fresh and, and exalted new light as we go through this passage. So to gain Christ. To gain Christ means to know God. I love how Paul starts this. He talks about loss. He talks about how everything is at loss compared to what? Compared to the surpassing worth of knowing uh, knowing Christ Jesus. I think many of us know factually things about Jesus. The world, if you go out and say, uh, I, I watched this YouTube video once where it's, they went on the streets in New York and they said, they asked people, who is Jesus? And everybody, you get the usual answers, like Jesus, he was this guy who died uh, a while ago and he was this good fella and he helped people. And there's this guy who said, yeah, Jesus is my uh, gardener. Uh, and there's another guy who says, um, yeah, Jesus, he's my Lord and Savior, and he died for my sins, and he uh, is, I'm going to follow him forever. And people have loads of different opinions about who Jesus Christ is. Yeah. And many of us upstairs now, as they're teaching the kids upstairs, they're probably learning about what Jesus has done, who he was, who does the Bible describe him as, how Jesus changed people's lives. But there's more than just knowing facts about Jesus. There's more than just knowing history. There is a knowing of God. There is a knowing that God now reveals himself to us. He unveils himself to us in a way that we could never have known before. Let's start with salvation. When Jesus first comes into our lives, there's a supernatural revelation about who God is. Paul puts it like our eyes were, un were veiled it's like putting up blinders, like, like uh, blackout blinds in front of eyes. We could be looking, but we wouldn't see who Jesus was. We can hear about him and know him, but we don't see who he is. It's like a light was turned on, another way in which the Bible talks about, like light shone into darkness and unveiled the glory of who Jesus Christ was. And for that to happen at salvation, that had to happen, there's a few things that probably happened in our lives at that time. Firstly, we recognized who we were before a holy God. When we first come to recognize who Jesus is and to know God, we recognize that firstly, God is holy. He is like no other. He is perfection personified. And we are like filthy, dirty rags before him, before a holy God. We recognize our spiritual poverty before a holy God. What also happens in that time at salvation is that um, we recognize that our hope, we need a savior. 
We need something to solve this issue before us and God. And that person is Jesus Christ, sacrificed on a cross for our sins. The sinless Savior, nailed to a cross, paying our sin, the, the price of our sin, by dying on a cross for us. And at the same time, we experience a mercy. We experience a revelation of kindness and salvation and forgiveness that nothing in this world could ever offer us. But Jesus offers freely. And what we are choices that we, by faith, trust in Jesus. And instantaneously, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's just a very quick summation of what happens at salvation. Suddenly, God becomes our savior. God becomes our redeemer. He becomes our hope. He becomes our love. He becomes our forgiver. And our lives are changed forever. But it doesn't stop there. The wonderful thing about an eternal God, that he is eternal. He's not something that you can know him about this much, and that's it. He is eternal. As we continue to walk in this life, we get to know him. We get to know his heart we get to know Jesus as a friend. John 15 says, I've called you friends, no longer slaves, for I have heard from my Father and I'm making it known to you. God shares his heart with us. He shares his passion. He shares his joys. That's who we get to know in this life. We get to know Jesus as the Christ. Paul says it here in Philippians that we get to know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And for those of you who may not know, Christ isn't his surname. Christ is a title. Christ is his, his position, that he is the anointed one of God, the one who comes to save and redeem. 1 Timothy says this, there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. So when we gain Christ, we know God, we know Jesus, we know him as Christ. We also know Jesus as my Lord. And I love that so much. He's not just a Lord He's not just the Lord. He is my Lord, my Lord. The one whom I surrender to, I give all that I am to, the one who I live for now because of what he has done for me. I surrender to his care. I surrender and I belong to him. I am who I say, he says I am. I'm his. That is who your Lord is. That is who you can know today. We're not just knowing about Jesus. We know the Father Jesus says that we don't just get to know God uh, as Christ, we get to know the fullness of God, which is his, his, how he reveals himself as God the Father. Jesus says that we are adopted, and Jesus shows us the Father. Romans 8.15 says, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, and we can cry, Abba, Father. And again, Abba, Father is not just uh, a, a title, it's an intimate longing of dad, my baba, my whatever your native language is, you probably have a pet word for your, for your dad or something, but it's an intimate knowledge of knowing God as Father. We get to experience the love of the Father. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So knowing God is knowing Christ. It's knowing the Father, but it's also knowing the Holy Spirit, the great gift of God, that the Holy Spirit, that God no longer dwells in heavenly places away and far from us. He dwells within each one of us, that the Spirit inhabits his, inhabits his people. God's Holy Spirit living in you. You can know God 24-7. You can know him uh, as you walk, as you clean dishes, as you wash the car, as you go on your commute. God's presence is no longer in a temple. It's right in you. You can know his personal fellowship. 1 Corinthians 6 says, do you not know that your body now is the temple of the Holy Spirit 
whom he is within you, whom you have received from God. The Holy Spirit, what a joy it is to know that God is with me right now, walking with me, knowing my thoughts. I can know his thoughts. So do you know him, Forest Town Church? Do you know God, his Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Do you know that he wants to continue to reveal himself to you? This isn't the end. He continues to reveal his heart and his mission and his purpose to you. And that's really point two, that there is uh, something more that God continues to reveal to us in our lives, both now in this life but also in the future. Let me just read something from Ephesians 2. Um, Ephesians 2 says this. God raised us to the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you know that in this life you can know God? But for all eternity, God is going to be revealing himself to you in marvelous, amazing, new, rich, wonderful ways. Can you imagine? Eternity is a pretty long time, isn't it? But God is promised to you in Ephesians 2 is that he is going to overwhelm you with his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness in Christ Jesus. I don't even know what that means. But all I know is that when we get to heaven, when we die and we go into our, the next life, God is going to continue to reveal love, kindness, mercy for eternity. And we're not going to get bored of it. And we're not going to go, oh, I've had enough, Netflix. Um, you know, it, it, he's going to keep on revealing graciousness and kindness and mercy and love for the coming ages because of what Jesus has done. Revelation says the angels and, and all the creation cries, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb. That is the song that we're going to sing forever. It's like a, sounds like a track on repeat, doesn't it? But it's going to be great. I don't know if not how to describe, but all I know is that I'm going to be satisfied in Christ forever. He's enough for me. And right now I get to glimpse him in part. But he's going to continue to reveal himself to me as I seek his heart. Maybe that's your cry as well. Maybe you feel right now, church, that you feel like you're stuck. Maybe you feel like you've reached an impasse with God and that God just seems to have revealed himself and that's it. But let me just encourage you this morning. There is so much more to know about our God. He is eternal. He does not, has no beginning. He has no end. You can know him. He is available. Seek his heart. So to know Christ, uh, to gain Christ means that we get to know God in his fullness. To gain Christ know, also is that we get to know his heart and his mission. Actually, um, there's actually another slide, just to let you know. Um, to know Christ, to gain Christ is to know his heart, mission, and purpose. When we come to know Christ, it's not just an add-on. I've mentioned that already. When we get to know Christ, he transforms our whole lives. He transforms our thinking. He transforms our desires. He transforms, he gives us new longings, new desires. We no longer live for ourselves. We no longer have to live for futile, temporal things. God places eternity in our hearts and gives us a purpose for our hearts to long to live after. Galatians 2.20, I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it's so encouraging because it says, I have been crucified by Christ. I give up. I lose. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is not no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live now, I live in the flesh 
by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I live now, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We no longer have to worry about what our lives mean. Have you ever had that thought, that midlife, maybe you, you go through a midlife crisis and you thought, what is this life all about? Why am I doing this? Why am I taking kids to the school? Why am I trying to pay my taxes? Why am I doing this? God gives us a purpose and a mission and a joy in this life that this world just doesn't understand. We get to gain Christ because we get to gain his heart. We gain his purpose. We gain his mission. And this is it. Jesus pursues us so that we can pursue joyful freedom. We can give our lives to him. We can give our lives for his purposes. And this is his purpose for us. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. That's our purpose. God has something for us to make our lives count in this world. He gives us a mission to help others also gain Christ. Do you know that that is your mission, that other people through you, through this church, may also gain Christ and enjoy him forever? And I have to ask myself this all the time. Whenever I get caught up in the things of this world, whenever I get caught up in, my, in what I think is giving me purpose and value, I always have to ask myself this question. Am I tuned in to God's heart right now? Am I tuned in to his purpose and mission? Holy Spirit, am I following your lead every day? Because it's so easy. I ask myself this all the time. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now? Does it matter? Is this running after God's heart? I pray that also be our question as we go through this life, that we would weigh up things according to God's purposes. So to gain Christ is to know God. To gain Christ is to know his heart, purpose, and mission. To gain Christ is that Jesus becomes more precious than life itself. When we think about the things that Paul lost in Philippians, um, he kind of mentions that he, mentions that he counts everything now as loss. He counts everything that he used to have. His status in Jewish society, he was the elite of the elite in Jewish society, you would say. He gave that up because he found something more valuable. He had a career. He had a future. He had his path laid out for him as, as a Jewish um, elitist. He knew he studied in the presence of the greatest teachers in Jewish uh, law at the time, Gamaliel. He gave that up because he found something more valuable. His friends, his companions, those whom he would have had status with, those whom he, people would have uh, esteemed him because of who he was, he gave that up because he found something more valuable. And sometimes in society, we, we have to be careful because I think sometimes in, 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 in the UK, we often, I would say, treat Christ as maybe like an accessory uh, maybe this is just me, but I feel that sometimes Christ kind of fits into how my life is right now. He fits in like an accessory. There isn't much that I actually lose by saying that I follow Christ. And so often I have to change my perspective to actually, meet, to actually see what that actually means for some, to lose something because of Christ. And the only place I look to and often I look to is the, my persecuted brothers and sisters in the world. We'd have to look very far in the news to see that to choose Christ isn't a convenience. It is a cost. It is a loss. But it's also, for them, it is gain. If I could just read something to you. We look at the persecuted church, and this is where we see often that Christ is truly more precious than life itself. 
Um, this is a, just an article from, from uh, December 2018 uh, from the church in China. Um, if I could just read this, this extract to you. This is, uh, Pastor Wang Yi was arrested in December 2018 along with his wife and about 100 other Christians from the uh, Early Reign Covenant Church in Chengdu in southwest China. And um, he was detained by the government officials uh, on allegations of inciting subversive subversation of state power. And in prison, in prison, Pastor Yang uh, Wang Yi released a statement from his jail cell. He says this, separate me from my wife and children. He can ruin my reputation. You can destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change, no one can make me change my life. No one can raise me from the dead. Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the eternal living God. He died for sinners and rose to life for us. He is my king and the king of the whole earth yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant, and I am in prison because of this. The Lord's servant, Wang Yi. For our brothers and sisters in Christ, to choose Christ is loss. It is losing freedom. It probably means at some point in time losing their lives. But what perseveres them through that is not comfort it's not convenience it is that they have found something that surpasses it all it's something that they have found that is more precious than life itself what does jesus say about following him so often we have to think about this from a perspective of what jesus says matthew 13 44 says this the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field a man found it and covered it up then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Or just after that, Matthew thirteen forty-five, it's like this. The kingdom of God is like this. A merchant in search of fine pearls, finding one pearl of great value, he went out and sold all that he had and bought it. That is what Christ calls us to, to count every single thing, everything that we would hold dear, everything that we would hold of value, Sell it all, because I found something more wonderful. I found the prize that I was looking for. I found my life in Christ. I found the pearl of great price that is worth more than anything in this world. I wonder if that is your um, place of your heart right now. Is Christ, is Christ the pearl of great price? I was uh, reflecting on something that Sue brought a few weeks ago. Um, she brought a prophecy very simple prophecy where she said this, we used to sing, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. And it got me thinking that Sunday. I sat somewhere around here and I thought, God, are you more precious than silver and gold right now where I am? And we have to ask ourselves that question. We have to check ourselves God, am I living in a way where you are more precious than gold or silver? And, and since that week, I've been thinking about that. And thank you, Sue, for being brave. And, and it's really speaking to me now. And I pray that it would continue to speak to you through your lives. Is Christ the, the pearl of great price that you can give everything to and trust him for? 
Is that your life song right now? Is that the thing that rings in your heart? Because the challenge of our lives is this. Our lives, the way we live, the way we live and even if we die, it requires us to show others that Jesus is more precious than life. Let me just say that again. The goal of our lives is to live in such a way and to die if required in a way that shows Jesus is more precious than life itself. That is what God has caused us to, to value something so wonderfully great that even life itself is worth it. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean to have Christ as being more precious than life itself? It means this. You do what is right, even when no one else is looking. You obey him. You revere his righteousness more, more than just what you will gain. You choose to uphold what is right and true. What does it mean that Christ is more precious than life? It means that you forgive others because Christ has forgiven you first. When others hurt you, you can choose to forgive and allow his spirit to heal you. It means that we choose to love as Christ has loved us. Having Jesus more precious than life means that we have to assess how we use our time. What am I giving my life to? Am I serving and speaking up for the broken? Because once I was broken and lost. Am I praying for the lost? Am I praying for my friends, my neighbors, those whom God has placed me in the neighborhoods for? Because I was once lost. I was once that, uh, that the, the son who had run away and God has come and brought me close. What's it mean that Jesus is more precious in life? It means we have to assess how we use our money. Jesus says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We have to make decisions in life that with this mindset, I would say, does what I do with my life make Christ look great? In our pain and suffering, we have to choose. Will I rejoice in Christ, my Savior, who secured my life beyond this world and live in a way that makes him look great? It's not easy. That's exactly what uh, Emma was sharing this morning. It's not easy, is it? Everything I count as loss because I've gained Christ. We place everything under the lens of, does this make Christ look great? Does this show Christ is my treasure? Does my life speak of the loss of all that this world would hold dear and show that Christ is my surpassing worth? You know, Graham Kendrick wrote uh, a song. Graham Kendrick um, was a, a, he still is, a, a Christian worship leader, uh, but he wrote a number of songs, and, and one of them was based on Philippians 3, and it, it goes like this. All I once held dear, I built my life upon. All that this world reveres are wars to own. All I once thought gain, I've counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. It's knowing you, Jesus. It's knowing you. There is no greater thing. You're my all. You are the best. You're my joy. You are my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. Is that your heart song? Does something have to shift in our lives to make Christ our treasure and to show the world that he is more precious than life itself? And the last point, uh, what does it mean to gain Christ? It means that we are secure in him forever. 
Paul ends a section in Philippians with this, uh, with this truth, this amazing doctrine, this amazing truth that we as Christians should hold dear to, worship in, uh, speak over ourselves, speak over our family, speak over each other. It says this, verse 9 says this, I have gained Christ and I'll be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Um, as we think about where Paul is when he writes these words, he's talking about righteousness. He's talking about uh, his position before God. Now, don't forget, Paul is writing this, this, this passage from, from prison. He's writing it uh, on death. If you could say he, he's on death row, he is destined to be executed for his faith. And he's sitting in prison, chained, and he writes and reminds himself and reminds us what his position is in Christ. He writes this from prison and he says that firstly that he is found in Christ. I don't know how that makes you feel, but at the end of your days, when you reach your deathbed or you know what's going to happen in the future, if you're maybe in Paul's position, do you know that you will be found in Christ? When this life ends, do you know for certain that you will be found in the arms of your Savior. Because if you do, that is a wonderful, wonderful truth and precious thing that we put our faith in. God's declaration over Paul and over every single person who places their faith in Christ is this. You are righteous. Your status, your position before God is that you are right. You are righteous. Righteousness is, is summed as this. It is a sovereign decree from God that transforms guilty sinners into justified saints. It is the free gift for those who believe. We look at it in a, in a law court term, uh, as we should, that you, guilty, tried, condemned sinner, before a holy God, God says, no, you are righteous because of what Jesus did. Because Jesus has taken on your sin, I love this. This is probably my second favorite verses in the Bible. For our sake, God made him, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. There's a transfer that happens. God says, you are a sinner. Jesus is sinless. Jesus, you are righteous. People of this world, you are unrighteous. What's going to happen is this thing called the great exchange. God takes the sinless savior he places sin onto Christ. He takes Christ's righteousness. He places it on you. And now when God looks at you, the holy, righteous, righteous God, he looks at you and says, Corbus, righteous. You are right with God. Unching, you are righteous. Matt, you are righteous. Gabrielle, you are righteous. When I look at you, I see what Christ has done, not what you've done. That is what we hold to. That is what secures us in Christ forever. It is not dependent on you or I doing something. It is dependent on the mercy and kindness of our God and Savior. Jesus became sin on your behalf so that you might become, become righteous before God. What does this truth mean? What does this doctrine mean? It means that we are not afraid. It means that we come before God and we enter his throne room with confidence because Christ has redeemed us. God looks at us and we are not consumed 
we come as sons and daughters become before a holy God and we can be bold. We can be stand accepted. We stand justified. What does this doctrine of righteousness mean? It means that we didn't earn it. It means that it's a gift that we're given by grace. Therefore, we are eternally grateful because we could never have bought it ourselves. It means that we are assured for eternity. It means that whatever this life throws at us, whatever evil would befall us, we have a righteousness that puts us before God and we are found in Christ. We will never lose our salvation because it is a gift to us that God does not take away. What does righteousness mean for us? It means that if I mess up, if I sin, if I fall back and do something that offends God, my first position is this, righteous. God doesn't say, oh, you dirty sinner. He says, no, you're righteous. You start from that point. God's justice says that Christ has paid for your sins from far as the east is from the west. So far has he has taken our transgressions from us, both past, present, and future. Our position when we mess up, firstly, is righteous. And from that place, we repent. And from that place, we are restored. There is no fear in that. And if we're struggling with sin, the place where we start is, I am righteous in Christ. Righteousness is a new identity which you have. Righteousness is an identity that what Christ has given us. You, now, when you declare over yourself, when you are in, if you are repeating yourself in sin or there's some kind of, uh, something that in our lives that continues to, to hold on to us, we say to that, we say, no, in Christ, I am a new creation. I am righteous. I start because I am in the light. In darkness, I will fight from that place. We don't fight from a place of fear. We fight sin from a place of righteousness. This changes everything, people. It changes the fact that we no longer have to be worried about the things of this life because Christ says, you are righteous. Everything works out because of what I have done for you. Oh, I pray this would encourage us. I pray that this would lead us as a church to be people who are, who are brave who say, Jesus, you are my treasure, who say, Jesus, all I have, I want to place into your hands. And just as we end, just as we land this, this, this morning, I want to just encourage us just in three ways that I think God wants to say to us as a church. Firstly, I think he wants us as, to respond to Sue's uh, prophecy a few weeks ago. God wants our life song to be, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. And just as we sit here now and just reflect on those words, is Christ our treasure? Does my life reflect that he is more precious than life itself? Maybe that's speaking to you right now. Maybe that's your longing in your heart. Maybe you know that, but you are in a place. Trust in faith, again, that Christ is your treasure. The second application, I want to pray that you be brave. I want to pray that you would be brave. I want to pray that you would choose Christ above what this world would offer you. I want to pray that you would choose to count your life, make your life count for Jesus, not for selfish ambition, not for self-seekingness, not for comfort. We count those all as loss compared to the knowledge of knowing and surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. And that requires bravery. That requires boldness from the Spirit. And the last thing I want to bring to us, church, is this, that we would pray for the lost. We would pray for those who have not received, who have not 
have their, had their eyes unveiled, who see Christ as maybe an imposter, who see Christ as a, something that was for somebody else, who see Christ as a boring guy in the past who no longer is relevant. He is not. He is the Savior, the Redeemer, the eternal God who longs for the lost. And God shares that heart with you and I. And just as we end, maybe one of those things or a number of those things are things that you know, yes, God, this is what is true. This is what I need. And what it requires for us is humility to lay our lives down, to put aside what we think is our comfort and to choose Christ. God, I choose to gain Christ. I choose to take you at your word and I want this for me. I want this for my family. I want this for my children. I want this for my life. So maybe we can just close our eyes. Maybe we can just spend a time just in reflection. God, are you really more precious than gold and silver? God, I want to be brave. I want my life to count for you, Jesus. God, I want to pray for the lost. No one is outside of your reach of grace. Our young people upstairs, our little kids, our loved ones, our family members, no one is outside the reach of your grace. Come, Lord God, and reveal yourself to them by divine work of grace. And God, I pray for us as a church that we would be those people, we would be Jesus' people, that Jesus, you would consume our passions, you consume our hearts, you consume our longings with wanting to make you more precious than anything else in this world, that we would choose you over comfort. We would choose you over what this world would say is of value. And I pray for my friends, pray as a church that we would be brave, we would be bold, we would be ambitious. We choose to live our lives because what matters in the end, Lord Jesus, is you. And what we do of our lives in this life matters for eternity. Would we choose you, Lord Jesus? Would we gain you? And right now, Lord God, we pray for the lost. We pray for those who are dear to our hearts. We pray for your young people. We pray for the kids upstairs right now as they hear about Christ. Unveil their eyes, we pray, that they may see the beauty and majesty of Jesus.